the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we uh, close the show today. It is a delight to do so with our good friend Sam Stone. He is the host of his own radio show, heard here every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. He's a political consultant in town and uh, one of the uh, more active uh, Twitter feeds um, in in, uh, covering Phoenix politics as well as national. And it's at Sam the Paul, Sam the P-O-L. Sam, how are you, brother? I'm good, Seth. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, you've been quiet the last couple days, at least on my radar screen. And I know if you go quiet, that means either you're fixing something and it's really serious or you're causing <laughs> trouble and it's really serious and it will be fixed. Well, it's, it's both. Actually, uh, okay. What I'm doing. <laughs> and um, you probably missed it because it basically turned into a really nasty down low Twitter fight uh, between okay. me and a local PC and, and member of the Maricopa uh, Republican uh, member at large for uh-huh. the county party. Yeah. Um, and this, look, this guy's just been tearing the party apart. He's running around censuring our legislators, basically, uh, you know, it, misrepresenting the case with a bunch of LDs. And, and my message to everyone in the Republican Party right now is really, really simple. There aren't enough of us left <laughs> to divide us yeah. and still win. Yeah. Like, I don't know how this isn't obvious at this point primaries are where we're supposed to be holding our fight. And then outside of primaries, we're supposed to be working together, especially with the party structure, to actually unite and win elections. And there are not there are so few of us compared to where what we were, you know, percentage-wise 20 years ago, where, hey, you could lose a portion of the Republican Party and Republicans would still end up in control of the state. That's not the case anymore. And we cannot have uh, this, you know, censuring... He censured a, a, a legislator, the only one we have who won in a blue district. <laughs> okay. I, it, we have a one-vote majority, yeah. and you're censuring a legislator who won in a blue district for us? Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> this, this stuff has to go away. So that's what I've been doing, Seth. Well, good. I have a couple thoughts on censure. You may or may not agree with them. One is I think when Republicans censure, by and large and for the most part, it should be done against the other party uh, for egregious uh, behavior like what we did with Adam Schiff. I thought that was a totally appropriate censure in the House of Representatives yesterday. He lied to the One, American people, right? Yes. 100 percent. Right. Exactly right. He on. looked the American people in the eye time and time again, lording his security credentials over us as the House chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, telling us he couldn't reveal his sources, he couldn't reveal the intel, uh, but lying over things that could not be inspected. And the left lapped it up. The mainstream media lapped it up. And there was this is a man who invented, wrote a fake transcript between the president and Vladimir Zelensky in impeachment in 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 attempting to impeach Donald Trump as chairman of House Intel. This is who this is who we should be censoring. And that was appropriate. That is. Yeah. With regard. My second point with regard to Republicans, this is where we may not see exactly eye to eye, eye to eye. I, I think it needs to be done also in extremely rare circumstances. And I can't, in fact, really think of one except for perhaps 
uh, behavior that violates codes of ethics uh, and the law where you might have something against George Santos type behavior. And the reason is twofold, Sam. One is I think you're absolutely right. This is what primaries are for. But two is we seem to be watering down the meaning of censure so much by such a liberal use of it that it kind of makes the censurers look weak because nothing ever results from it. And it's just another ho-hum yawn. That's them up to doing nothing again. It's exactly right. It, look, this is what Democrats are doing with the words racism and fascism, yes, right? They're yes, throwing them around yes, willy-nilly. Yes. They have no actual application in the circumstances they're using them. And so they lose their power. Yeah. And so when an actual racist, an actual fascist, when that type of person shows up on the scene, you, you cannot censure them with the use of those words. Right. And, you know, this is you're exactly right. I would be very careful to limit its use. Uh, on our side, to situations where someone has broken the law right. or someone has done something that is really egregious. It should not be used for a political difference right. of opinion, right. which is how it's being used now. Right. That's precisely why we do primaries or we have committee votes or we have precinct committeeman votes or whatever you whatever you want to do that is internal to the party. That's precisely why we do that sort of thing. No, that's that's exactly it. And look, you know, I, I've said for many, many years, have the nastiest, uh, you know, drag them out, fight them down, dirty primary you want to have. I, I prefer candidates stick to their issues and, and call out each other on policy and on actual prescriptions for the country, for the state, whatever. But at the end of the day, that's where those fights are supposed to be. And I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a big problem with us continuing this thing of saying, oh, this isn't my type. Um, so you had a lot of establishment uh, folks, Republican establishment folks, folks more to the center, who failed utterly in their duty to come out and vote for the Kerry Lake, Blake Masters, Abe Hamaday, uh, those candidates. And why I say failure is very, very clear. Any Democrat in any of those offices is going to be a 100 times worse than any Republican from any perspective of any other Republican. That's all there is to it. So you have to defend your own interests and say, I don't care if I don't exactly agree with a Kerry Lake or a Blake Masters or Abe Hamaday. I'm, I'm going to get a lot worse with the Democrat. At the end of the day, that has to be the only consideration at that point. The primary is where we decide who, whether it's the, the base, the right, or it's the center, whoever gets that win, that's, that's, that's where that gets decided. Stop the garbage outside of that. You know, Sam, that's something I have uh, long been animated by. I hate this view that just seems to easily trip off the tongue and get you out of a discussion, and everyone just accepts it when people say, well, I vote for the person, not the party. I'm sorry, that's putting personalities over principles. If you like a person, take them to lunch, have them over to your house for dinner. But when we're talking about the governance of the state, you either have an ideological perspective or you don't. And I'm sure there are plenty of Democrats I like. My dad was one. I wouldn't have voted for him because I know that those policies are not going to be the policies I would agree with on the future of, you know, any 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 public policy issue or almost any public policy issue I can think of. I, I hate that notion. I vote for the person over the party. All right. If the person is corrupt and you can't stand it, maybe you stay home or you leave that slate blank. But you have to think long and hard, too 
about what the alternative is, if it's a close race, if it's a nail-biting of a case. Because if you call yourself a Democrat or if you call yourself a Republican, and we're pretty much talking about Republicans right now, Sam, if you call it, that must mean something to you. It must have something about taxes and the economy. It must mean something to you about with regard to uh, regulations. It must mean something to you with regard to education, both higher and elementary and secondary. It must mean something to you with foreign policy. And if you like anything that's going on and what is represented in the Biden administration right now or the Democratic Party at large right now or the Katie Hobbs administration right now, and you like the people because you better than or because you don't like the people who stand up for Republican principles, whether they are McCain types or they carry Lake types. I'm sorry. If you're getting 80 percent with McCain or 99 percent with Kerry Lake or however you want to call these things, it's a hell of a lot better and means a lot more to the future of our state and country than getting 2 percent. And I, I, I just I have no patience for I vote for the person, not the party. No patience. Well, and, and that 2 percent is, is an important note there, Seth, because if you were going back to the example of your dad many years ago, uh, Democrats, 20, 30, 50 Wouldn't have been 2 percent then. Right. It would not have been 2 percent. It would have been 20. Now, <laughs> it would have been yeah, 20. Well, you know, sure, 20, yeah. maybe, maybe 40, yeah. right? Maybe. I mean, it, would, it might not have been a majority, but, yeah. it, but it, you know, one of the reasons and I put out a tweet about this about a week ago, but one of the reasons you do have a uniparty, uh, obviously it's most prevalent in Washington, D.C. One of the reasons is if you look at a graph of where the two parties were politically 20 years ago, there's an enormous amount of overlap. The peaks, you know, where most people stand are not that far apart, and there's huge overlap between them. And the Senate particularly, but also the House, are largely relics of that era when there was a huge overlap between them. So understand, part of the Uniparty is simply inertia with these people who have been there for 30, 40 years. The parties have since moved dramatically far apart. The the ideological spectrum for the two now does not touch. 2% is overstating it. Probably, yeah, 2% might be overstating it. You're right, you're right. It might very well be. So this is what everyone needs to understand is given where they are, every single Democrat, whether no matter what they say on the campaign trail, you can look at a Joe Biden, you can look at any of the other people who are attached to this. Those folks are are just going to straight up lie. The press lets them lie present themselves in the middle. Heck, even Ruben Gallego is right now running around pretending like he's some sort of centrist, right? The guy is a communist. He's crazy. He's way out there. But the press is letting him get away with it. And if we're not smarter about this, we're going to fall victim to it. And that's who you end up with running the country and running the state. And that's where we're very, very close to right now. That's right. I have a little more to talk to you about on the other side with this on this issue, but we'll cover a lot more, too. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I'll be right back. Sam Stone is my guest. Follow him at Sam the Pole, P-O-L, on Twitter. Check his uh, radio show out here every Saturday at 3 p.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. Uh, consultant, uh, we do, uh, we've worked on a few projects together over the years, uh, and uh, we love uh, having him on the show as we do most Thursdays. Uh, Sam, there's, there's another one last aspect to this. When you said, in, as you did in the last segment quite rightly, you know, people sometimes get to election day and say, how are we left with this choice? Well, you know, you've run primary campaigns. I've been involved in a few. I've been in one, I guess. And uh, and uh, and um, 
I guess my point is this. You will often hear people say, well, I don't get involved in primaries, but I'll be there for you in the general election or I'll show up for the general election or I'll help the candidate out in the general if you're working for the candidate. And I got to tell you, um, there's a, a friend of mine said, you know, whoever says that to you, ask them this one question because it's devastatingly unanswerable. How's that been working out for you? That's right. You have to get involved in the primaries. You, you, you just, Mr. Miyagi, that nail straight down into the wood right there, Seth. I mean, that's exactly right. And anyone who says that, it, even worse for the people who come up to me and they're like, oh, they, you know, complain and complain and complain. And then like, yeah, but I don't vote. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shut up. Yeah. Just get out of here. Go, I, go. I don't like you the know. candidates. Well, then get involved in the primaries. I mean, yeah. get, get involved in them. And, and it has to work both ways. I know after this interview or, or, when I walk in tomorrow, I will have callers or emails that say, you know, whenever a um, whenever a more conservative candidate loses in the primary and a more moderate type wins, use John McCain as an example, though I know there would be argument over that categorization, that categorization. you know, that the Republican Party says to the more conservatives, you know, suck it up. That's democracy. But you got to go fight for them and you got to go win it for them, for us, for you, for the party. And by and yep. large, we do that. By and large, we do that. I just got to say it works both ways. It should work no, that's, both ways. Well, you are, again, Boris, Seth, you're, you've been on point this whole time. Um, that's exactly I have said over and over and over that the losses that we suffered in this election were a failure of the establishment. Uh, essentially a temper tantrum by them against the the candidates that they didn't vote for in the primary where they stayed home. They didn't vote. I was just talking to a woman who was part of the hand count, the recount. And she said, look, I kept running across these ballots where the first five races were blank and then everything underneath the Mm -hmm. congressional races, Mm -hmm. the state and local races, those things were filled out Mm -hmm. uh, for the Republicans. So, Mm -hmm. you know, look, you do not get this on the other side of the aisle. What concerns me right now is this attitude that's building up where uh, reasonably, and I get it, the now more conservative base is saying, wait a minute, if you get your candidates in, why shouldn't we just, why shouldn't we just play tit for tat? Why shouldn't we sit this out? You cannot. And that's part of my message here is the establishment needs to take a very good look in the mirror, the McCain wing, the centrist, whatever you want to call yourself. I don't care. You need to take a very good look in the mirror and understand that the base has a very legitimate complaint with you right now. But likewise, um, right now there's a big portion of the base that's still running around living in a fantasy world. And they're saying, hey, we're going to get rid of the machines and have one-day voting and there's no point to voting. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Okay? That's not going to happen. We are going to have the exact same electoral system here in 2024 that we had in 2022. And because we have a, unless we end up getting a supermajority that can override vetoes in the 24 election, which is highly unlikely given the district makeups of the state, you're going to still have a Democrat governor, secretary of state, and AG. And that means that this election system that we're currently operating under is going to be in place more or less exactly like it is in 2026 also. So the question Republicans have is, do you want to live in a blue state, or do you want to all swallow your pride, get over this infighting, and pull the trigger for whoever has an arm behind their name in each of those two elections, or not? And if not, uh, you know, move to California. You can already get, you can get your future 
right now. It's sitting there right now waiting for you. And there's, there's, there's houses free because people, they'll trade you. Trade them, right? Uh, there's lots of people trying to move here, and there's a reason for that. So let's not go down that road. Let's not go there. Let's understand that we're all making mistakes. We're all pointing fingers at each other. That has to stop. And we have to understand that the only place that we fight each other is in primaries. And then we move on and we unite for victory or we all go down together. This ship is sinking in 10 places and we're under fire from every side. We are this close to ending up on the bottom of the ocean with the Ocean Explorer people. I I think that's very well said, Sam. I'll just make two more points on it, which um, now that you've got me, my juice is flowing here a little bit on this whole thing. What we were saying to the moderates who left things blank or didn't do their, their best efforts because they didn't like the kind of candidates that did prevail in certain races. You know, so back to where we started this conversation, for those that did prevail, whether they're at the precinct county or whatever levels they might be, state legislature, let's not make the Republican Party smaller by excising them either, right? I mean, what? Here's here's my big point. Here's my big point. It is dumbfounding to me. I mean, I get it, but it is dumbfounding to me that we live in that, that that we don't have a Republican Party that totally dominates the realm of politics. It, you look at what's going on in this country. You're right about the sinking. You are totally right about this. You look at the national level, the international level, the foreign relations level. You look at any number, any number of political indicia, and it is befuddling that the Republican Party can't get its act together to be not a third, a third, a third. But like two thirds and a third, honest to God, Sam, honest to God, the Republican Party should be the absolute dominant party. This should be elections should look like 1984 November. Well, look, if 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 feet, Seth, if feet were votes, then there's no question. Right. Republicans are dominating, would be dominating, would never lose election almost anywhere in this country because the people in New York and California and Oregon are leaving and they're moving to red states. Right. Okay. These are not conservatives by nature that are doing this. These are people who are simply looking around and saying this ideology has led to failed government. It has led to failed policy and we are paying a price. And now it's time for me to consider voting differently. But those people are moving to these states like Arizona and they're continuing to vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. And that is a failure on our part. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you can make excuses for the media. You can do all this. But look, we've all seen the power. Mm-hmm. How many more viewers does Joe Rogan have than right. CNN? Right. 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 So we can't just keep blaming the media for this. We have to be looking at ourselves and saying, where are we going wrong? And part of where we're going wrong is that Democrats sit there, they have their arguments in the primary when they have them, and then they they all just unite. They fight their battles behind the scenes. Yeah, they're pretty darn very good at it. Yeah, and they're lined up when they come out of the gate for every election. They're in step, lockstep unison going forward. Unless we compete with that, we will lose and lose badly in 24. We will lose in 26. And, and this state's blue. And then we'll make, it, we'll make it the case that it's everyone else's fault. Right. That's, will, that's, that's the final chapter of how that works. Speaking yep. of Joe Rogan, um, let's talk a little bit about debates in Joe Rogan when we come right back. Is that okay with you? Oh, yes, we can. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. He has his own show here on Saturdays, Breaking Battlegrounds at 3 p.m. And um, Sam, you mentioned Joe Rogan in the last segment. You were saying, you know, people can complain about the media, but how many more viewers does Sam or listeners does Sam Rogan have? That, let me start over. How many more listeners does Joe Rogan have than CNN has viewers or, you know, CNN? I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I know Joe Rogan has a lot more listeners yeah. than me. He, he, he has more than CNN and MSNBC combined, along with probably every local TV station in Arizona. And I'll tell you how I know he's potent. The Washington Post is now writing editorials about what's going on on his show. You know there's a potency when the Washington Post is, is, is taking him, or at least taking him seriously enough to condemn him. So he had Robert Kennedy on Robert Kennedy Jr. on recently, and maybe this is an interest. This will be an interesting st- strategy for a for a book someday on on this race because John, Robert Kennedy can't get interviews on a lot of the mainstream networks, but he's really doing the podcast round. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But he did it, this. It, he's doing really, it. Yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. I, I was going to say just because this fascinates me. Yeah. Uh, the legacy media are circling the wagons to protect themselves. Yeah. And what's really interesting about that is circling the wagons basically didn't work. Mm-hmm. It just binds you all up to be a target together, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I really think that this is a, an election that is going to last election. The last two elections have really diminished the power of the media, particularly the national media. This is approaching a a, a new watershed low for them. And Look, if you add up, it's not just Joe Rogan, but if you add up the number of people out there who are getting their news yeah. um, from from all these other sources, yeah. it blows the traditional media away. More people by far, and I personally I find this a little terrifying and awful, but more people by far get their news on TikTok than they do on traditional media. Well, that's its own set of problems that we're going to have to come up with and deal with, and, and, and we will, I hope, through explanation and through just better content. But Robert Kennedy, yes, right. So Robert Kennedy Jr. has figured out that the mainstream media is not going to give him a fair shake. They won't even give him airtime in most cases. So he goes on Joe Rogan and has a, a wide-ranging discussion, and he gets condemned. They get condemned by uh, – what would you call it? A team fear. Dr. Peter Hotez. Yeah, Peter Hotez, who's what? Team fear, the captain of team fear when it came to coronavirus. Never yeah, got anything li- wrong. Team, yeah. <laughs> team liar. Team liar, way. team fear. And, and the guy yeah. who has about a 30 year career of not producing anything actually <laughs> right. scientific. So, right. you know, choice. Right. So he condemns them on his social media and other platforms. So Joe Rogan says, I will give you. Or I will give your favorite charity a hundred thousand dollars. I will give a hundred thousand dollars to your favorite charity if you will no holds barred, no rules, just come on and debate Robert Kennedy on my podcast for an hour. And he won't do it. He won't do it. And he and and people are just are defending his not doing it by this yeah, nonsense. Yeah, wrote an entire yeah. like screed yeah. right yeah. about oh he should never go right. on there right. and blah blah. And, you know, I remember when the left because at the time. The left did have legitimate intellectual arguments behind some of their positions, and one of those positions in the past was free speech, yep. and that the antidote to bad speech is more speech. If you believe in your words, if you believe in your ideas, if you believe in your knowledge and your scientific background, 
and you think that Kennedy is a farce on all these fronts, then you should be able to contest him. The fact they can't says everything that needs to be said. That's right. And understand the excuse or understand the uh, the, the the red herring here. You, you retweeted something interesting. One Aaron Rupar, who has a whole lot of list, uh, followers oh, on Twitter, grief, yeah. al- almost a million, he says, Debate Me has become a bad faith propaganda tool for the right, designed to legitimize lies and target critics for harassment. It's ripped from the right's free speech playbook, which demands bad actors get access to all platforms and audiences. Uh, Harsani had a good response. It's true. Noted right-wingers like RFK and Joe Rogan always use the free speech and debate plays by inviting people who criticize them to appear on their podcasts. It's almost as if it's 1939 Germany. Can I have you respond to that on the other side of this break? I I realized I ran into – I'm running out of time on this, and it deserves a full-throated response from you. Sam Stone is my guest. Follow him at Sam the Paul. Uh, yeah, this issue of I'm not going to debate you because it gives you too much credibility or I'm not going to debate you because it legitimizes you. Well, maybe in some cases if it's punching down in a in a decisive sense. But as between a Robert Kennedy candidate for president or attorney who more people know than this guy, Hotez, uh, it doesn't hold water. I'll have Sam respond when we come back. Welcome back to the show. Sam Stone is my guest. This excuse of uh, people with big credentials and, 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 and theoretically some audience um, saying they won't debate a candidate for president like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because it legitimizes them and uh, that sort of thing. It, 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 is, a, it is an excuse um, because they're afraid. I, you know, Sam, you probably do. I do. We've worked for people who probably get offers from people who just don't have those credentials and credibility. Uh, to debate them all the time. And it, and it doesn't make sense to punch down in those cases. But this is not a case of punching down. This is a lateral, this is a, a lateral equivalency of, of two people who, who if you're going to criticize one and call him a liar, you should be able to be able to do it to his face. Well, that's exactly right. Um, I, I would actually go a little bit further. Okay. This, is, this, this is the um, destruction of the public health industry in America, which began with COVID and is is in its death spiral right now, because a majority of people in this country no longer are willing to listen to them, and yet their leading avatars, like this Dr. Peter Hotez, right. continue to stand out there and say, you cannot debate us. It's, we will not discuss any of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I tend to be... I am not vaccine hesitant. I got all the vaccines that were due when I was a kid. I get my tetanus booster and, you know, rabies and whatever else um, the doctor tells me to get when I go. But I did not realize, for instance, the extraordinary multiplication of the number of vaccines that children are given in their first six months and three years of life. I remember what I went through as a kid. Um, you know, the, the handful of shots I got for TB and a few other things along the way, measles, mumps, rubella at that time too. But, um, but now they're getting like 30 shots in that period. And maybe that, you know, maybe that's right. Maybe that is okay. In fact, the evidence would suggest that it is. 
But if it's okay, then why can't you come out on TV and defend it? Why can't you go on Joe Rogan and defend it? I mean, this isn't just a problem in terms of the left-right narrative anymore. This is a serious problem with public health and with experts in general in this country and around the world who don't feel they owe it to the masses to, to ever explain to them why they're right. They just believe that the masses should line up like little lemmings and do what they're told. And this is, a, this is an enormous shift in expert ideology from 20, 30, 40 years ago when uh, experts really did appear to believe, at least most of them, uh, that they owed it to the public to educate them on why they were experts. And, and I think part of the reason that they're taking this approach now is that those last 20, 30 years, the track record of experts is horrific. They, they have been wrong far more than they've been right. And that's a problem. They're not doing the self-reflection they need at the highest levels of academia and science to understand how bogus their position and attitude has become. Yeah, that's a that's a big point, Sam. And I think it transcends just the issues in COVID and public health. Um, although that was a really good touchstone for it and a really good uh, a really good reveal. The that was the crucible. Yeah, yeah it was, was a really crucible. yeah really put it in sharp relief. I think throughout expert land, whether we're talking to professoriate or people in high government uh, offices or even, you know, production offices, uh, production studios at at mainstream media outlets or chairmen's of the board or presidents of mainstream media or news anchors, you know, that they can't be taken at their word or for their word and are now being questioned by people. This is the revolution of the Internet. You know, you can learn as much as the head of CNN. You can learn as much as a deputy assistant secretary of who knows what by all the information that's available. And if you're smart enough to string together a couple sentences, that drives that assistant secretary of whatever bat crazy. It drives them nuts because they have an entitlement. The elite and the intellectual class has always had an entitlement. You know them well, I know them well. And the moment they're questioned, they think that, oh, well, you guys just don't get it. It's not that we don't get it. It's that we get them all too well. That's that's it. And, you know, I, I think when you look at this, um, so, so going back to COVID, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I am a numbers guy. I'm a data guy. I'm very data-driven. I think it's not educationally. I think, honestly, that's more about my background in baseball, mm-hmm. is is I just became much better at understanding statistics and variables and uh, game theory and all that kind of thing from baseball. Mm-hmm. And that I started applying that in my political analysis. And when COVID first broke and, the, you know, they're telling us all this, I no longer take anybody at their word. I really like to go back and look at the base data. Good. And I kept going back and looking at the base data and the base data did not match the conclusions. And we had been seeing this previously, particularly with the environmentalist movement, yep. the statements that yep. come out of the IPCC, for yep. instance. The, yep. uh, the International Panel on Climate Change, the statements, the press releases, the so forth and so on that comes out, 
does not match their own data. And and I kept going, what is this? And then COVID happened. And that was abundantly clear from very early on that there was a very specific subset of society that was vulnerable to COVID and that it largely did not dramatically affect everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the disinformation that was coming out, and then we were being told that anyone who questioned yep. that disinformation were the ones spreading disinformation. Right. It's a very dystopian reality to be living. And I, I spent that year... Um, just going out of my mind in 2020 because I kept saying, wait a minute, how, how, does, how does the entire world not see this? Um, we have to move. The experts need to be the ones to solve this problem. The, the proletariat is not the one to solve this problem because it's not their problem. The problem is with the experts. Yep. The experts need to assess their own behavior, yep. and they need to start being transparent and remove their ideology from their expertise, and they're not doing that. They're doubling down, and we see that here. And you see somebody like Aaron Rupar mm-hmm. uh, defending it. And I retweeted it with a, no. a comment where I snarked him out of the uh, the finish to the the uh, the uh, famous um, uh, big red at the at the Belmont, yeah. whatever yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he's he's a great machine running away with this without a single thought in his head. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got to run, Sam, but you're right. It's the experts wedding their ideology to their expertise, and that's what needs to be excised, or it will be our ruin. Sam, it's great spending time with you. Thank you, brother. As always, Seth. God bless. Folks, you're thinking about the economy and the stock market's volatility, the talk of a recession on the horizon. You look at our inflation, which is hardly transient. You look at the bank failures and you want to know where you can go to invest. Why Refi has an investment for you. It's in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market and it's not correlated to the Fed. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Why Refi. They're headquartered here Locally, they invite you to just stop by their offices. They're over on uh, 101 and Scottsdale Road. I've been there. You won't get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign a thing. But when you do meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Just thinking about what Sam was saying with regard to the expert class. Um, It's a very insular class, obviously, subject to the tremendous temptation of groupthink, subject to the... Tremendous temptation of confirmation bias, which is a slightly different thing, but also so isolated from the common crowd, if you will, from Sam called them the proletariat, but from the non-elites, that they end up getting a lot wrong, whether it's political predictions or whether it's social science practices or whether it's any kind of remediation to any kind of problem. Um, Odi profanum vulgus, Odi profanum vulgus. That's uh, one of the ways, one of the man- ways Homer opens up 
uh, his uh, his third book. I hate the vulgar crowd. Um, I hate the vulgar crowd, and and that's that's what they think of us. Vulgar, common. We don't all have to have their credentials. You think about some of the greatest public thinkers in the 20th century. Arthur Schlesinger, if you're on the left, I don't even think he had a... He, well, he certainly didn't have a PhD. Bill Buckley didn't have... You didn't used to need him. Most college professors didn't have him. We credentialed up and credentialed up to narrow and narrow and narrow the focus. And when you narrow it so far, you lose the vision. Well, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us, folks. Um, God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.